Again, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to be in John chapter 11 if you haven't already gone there. Uh, we've been, we started the book of John here last year, and we're working our way through, and we'll continue to do so here uh, for the remainder uh, of the gospel of John and through, through the coming months. As I set up to today's passage here, as we jump back into John, I don't know about you guys, but I've been a bit obsessed with what's happening in Ukraine. Um, of course, there's possible implications of what it may have for us here in the United States. And many uh, decisions are, are being made or, or not being made because of how they may impact the United States. But my heart has grown so weary and increasing in brokenness as I watch and see our brothers and sisters in Ukraine suffer and feeling helpless. And if I feel helpless on this side of the pond, the Pacific, I can't imagine how they feel as they continue on in the third week of siege and bombardment as mothers and, 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 and children have left their husbands and fathers to fight, and there's incredible uncertainty about the future. And, and those who remain in there, in Ukraine, what uncertainty they have in terms of their life and their, their suffering. Some cities are completely under siege such that the, all resources are cut off. They don't have food or water or, and, or electricity right now. And it's times like these that certain questions come up and rattle our faith. Where are you, God? I can imagine the questions of our Ukrainian brothers and sisters and, and their, their struggles, their wonderment. How long? When will you act? How can injustice and evil continue to be permitted to go on? These are not new questions, and these are not new wrestlings in our souls when suffering happens in our lives. Why would God delay his intervention and his actions? Where is he? Is he absent? In the Psalms, one-third of the Psalms are what we call lament Psalms. They're Psalms that cry out for this authentic place of, of suffering and hurt and uncertainty. Where are you, God? Psalm 10, verse 1, expresses some of this. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? God's word gives us these words to speak ourselves. Not because God is, is actually far away. Not because God is hiding. But these true experiences are important for our souls to cry out. Otherwise, it becomes poison in us. Have you noticed that? When there's suffering, when there's trouble, when there's trauma or loss... There's the cries in our heart, and, and they need to come out. And God gives us permission in his word to say things that really sound uncomfortable, maybe even wrong. But he's a big God. 
He's a big God. And he can take your questions and your doubt. These true statements, these true experiences do not declare truths about God. Because there's more behind the scenes. Like a play on a stage, there's more going on behind the curtain. And we'll see that here in this passage today in John 11. The death of a dear friend of Jesus himself. When Jesus, when God delays, he's actually working to display his glory. If you haven't turned there, go ahead and do so. Let's read from John 11, 1 through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet and her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness will not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Let's pray for the spirit to open our hearts. Holy Spirit, we, we come to your word and, and, and we want to humbly come to you now acknowledging that we, we would just dismiss it, Lord God, or we would twist and turn your word to mean things for our own agendas, Lord Jesus, but we want you to do what you want. We want your word to work on us. We don't mean to just study your word. We want your word to study us. And as David prayed, Search us and know us, O oh God. 
Test us and see if there be any offensive way within us and lead us in your everlasting path. So spirit work, till the soil in our heart. Let the word be the seed planted and produce fruit in our lives of hope, of steadfastness. In your name we pray. Amen. As we come back to this sermon series in the book of John, it's good to just be reminded of some context here. John, in his Gospels, and there's four Gospels in the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all tell the story of Jesus, God come to earth, in, in different perspectives. And John is, is especially unique. And John sets out from the very beginning to be very clear, I want you to know Jesus is God. While the others, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, set out to show that Jesus was a human being and he was God, John sets out to, right from the very beginning, we all know he was a human. You need to know he's not just any human. He's God. He's the light of the world. He's light in our darkness. And through the book of John, through, through several miracles, John moves the story along in showing Jesus is so much more than a great teacher and a prophet. Again, he's God. The miracles continue to ratchet up higher and higher in terms of the dis demonstration and display that you, we cannot question ultimately in the end that he is anything but God. Just previously to our scenario, Jesus had healed a blind man, a man born blind from birth. This is something that had never been done. But that also was not received well by many people. It was a threat to them. Not an exciting display of God's glory. And so Jesus was rejected. So they had left the area of Jerusalem because of that intense kind of, of rejection towards Jesus. They wanted to kill him. And so the disciple, Jesus and the disciples had gone up to the northern area again. And now we come to this scene that we are in in John 11. We're told about this man named Lazarus here in the verses uh, uh, one through four, or one through three here. We're, we're, we got to kind of get the scene, the, the setting of of this this new episode, if you will. And so we have Lazarus, and he has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And and John points out Mary. Mary is somebody everybody already know, knew about. There was this story about Mary washing Jesus' feet that had been circulated among the people. And, and, and her story was well known, which he speaks about in verse 2. And we see that Lazarus and Mary and Martha, they have a special relationship with Jesus. There was a certain friendship and love there with Jesus. And knowing that he was ill, and this wasn't some kind of like, oh, Jesus, he has a cough. 
They knew it was a serious kind of illness. This was like ICU level kind of illness that, that, that Lazarus had. And so, and so they're reaching out to Jesus because they know Jesus can do something about this. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Implied there is, get here now, please. So we have this scene. Now look at Jesus' response here. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus declares there's something more going on here. Now he makes a statement that would seem somewhat contradictory because those of you who've read ahead or know of the story, you know that Lazarus, he does die. In fact, Jesus explains it later. No, he's dead. Jesus must be talking about something else here, something greater. He says, whatever is going to happen here, it is for God to be glorified. Well, 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 Mary and Martha remain in uncertainty. In verse 5, we see Jesus do, verse 5 and 6 describe something extraordinary here, something that, that doesn't quite make sense. John explains, Jesus loves Martha and his and Mary and Lazarus. He loves them. And then we have the statement, so, or, or in some translations it's, therefore, since he loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. What kind of friend is that? Jesus, Lazarus is sick, come. That's too bad. I'm just going to stay here and let it sit for a little while and fester. That doesn't feel like a friend. How, how, can, how can this make sense? That Jesus loved him, so then he waited longer. Because he knew there was something so much greater. Something so much more profound that they needed to see, not for just Jesus to do, but they needed to see the glory of God. There was work behind the scenes. But we don't see that, do we? We don't always understand that. God, why are you delaying? God, why are you absent? We heard that in the psalm. Our experience, because we can't see. When, when there's trouble in our lives, our world gets very narrow, Right? Our vision becomes very dark. We can't see much. The uncertainty increases. The clouds get darker. And we feel alone. We don't feel that the Lord is near us in the times that we need him the most. Amen? That's real. That's a real feeling. But that's not true. There's more at work. Mary even says when Jesus later goes to see them, and she runs up to him in verse 32 and says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. 
What are you doing? How many of us have been in these spaces? Maybe you're in that space right now. Those questions are right there on the surface. Jesus says, this illness does not ultimately lead to death. It's for the glory of God. There's more. There's more. Jesus goes on here as he engages his disciples. After these two days of waiting, he says to them, let us go to Judea again. Going to Judea meant going back to the kill box. Going to the lion's den. Going back to face the certainty of, of death. And Jesus goes into these words here, and as is patented for Jesus in the book of John, Jesus speaks at, at, at a, a deep, deep level, and the, and the disciples only hear at the surface, or, or, or the audience. And there's, there's these two levels of communication that are going on. And we as the reader can pick that up as we go through this, but, but there's this confusion here because of the depth at which Jesus speaks to. And so he responds that, that, that as the disciples are like, you're going back to be stoned. What, what are you thinking? That makes no sense. We thought you were delaying just to keep yourself safe. Jesus isn't afraid of death, though. He explains to them with this, this abstract kind of language here in verse 9, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Anyone walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These words of talking about the light of the day, he, 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 Jesus uh, refers to this kind of metaphorical language. He'll come back to it later in this very chapter even. Speaking about this, this, the light of day and the light speaks of, uh, of this time of God accomplishing his will. Jesus refers to himself, I am the light of the world. Just in the previous chapters, he just referred to himself as that. That it's the light of the world. There's a, there a, a purpose that will be accomplished. These 12 hours of the day are, these, are, are is the full spectrum of all of daylight. And we're supposed to have a little bit more of that now, right? And in the fullness of this entire day, God is going to accomplish his purposes. Now, there's a time when Jesus will be taken after he dies. And those who do not have the light of the world in them, they will stumble. But what Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples here is that no one can take my life from me. I have authority over when I will die. We go into the kill box. But I can't be killed until it's the right time. Because God is sovereign over my life. I am sovereign over death. And so you don't have to fear coming with me 
Because nothing can happen to me, to you outside of the Father's will. This is profound. Nothing can happen to Jesus, and nothing can happen to his followers outside of the will of God. Jesus would explain this in in another gospel elsewhere in Luke. He would say this in Luke chapter 12. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more than that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? When even the hairs on your head are all numbered, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus was communicating here is that our our eternal death is far more worse than physical death. God knows when you will die. Every hair on your head is numbered. That shouldn't lead us to fear, but that should lead us to understanding that he, the good God, if we already have established that he is good and we know and we trust that he is good, then when we pass, it is the right time. We cannot be taken out of the Father's hands, out of the shepherd's hands. This news is good for us to be able to rest. When we face uncertainty and the threat of death, In this life. In fact, that's what death does. Death threatens our sense of control. Death threatens our sense of stability and self reliance. Haven't we experienced that over the past years with the pandemic, with the uncertainty that that comes and and that increased possibility that I might, there might be death in my life? What am I going to do about how do I respond to that? Or in Ukraine, as they face this bombardment of the siege from Russia, death is very much nearer to us. And once we feel that sense that death is real and near, we feel very vulnerable. Many philosophers have called this an existential crisis. Why do I exist? If I'm, not, if I'm limited in my life and I don't have control in this life and this life is all that there is, why do I exist? What is my meaning and purpose? Death threatens us. Death imposes upon us this sense that we will not be able to get what we want in this life. In fact, the things that we do value, it threatens, it can take it from us. But Jesus is going to say some things here that radically change everything for humanity because it changes how we see death, how we understand death. As you can see in the slide on the screen, Jesus redefines death and therefore how we see life. In verse 11, he says this about Lazarus. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go 
to awaken him. The disciples don't understand this. Again, speaking on different levels here. They, they, they think, they're thinking physically, he's, he's just taking a nap, you know, when we're sick. We got a cold, you got the flu or whatever. You, gotta t- you need to sleep. You need to take a nap. It's good. It helps your body heal and get restored. And, and uh, we all, I just need, I look forward to naps. I'm in that time of life. Naps. Yes, Jesus. More naps. Please. And Jesus, matter of factly, said, no, he's dead. He's not almost dead or mostly dead. He's dead. It's done. But then he says something very weird here. And for your sake, I'm glad. What in the world? That sounds so calloused. His friend died because he's Lord over death. He's doing something. His delay his apparent absence. He's working. And in Lazarus' sake, his delay was to make it very clear for everybody. It was undeniable. Just as Jesus said, matter of fact, he's dead. It needed to be well known he was dead. He was put in the tomb. He was stinky, decomposing. He was dead. Because what Jesus was about to do had never been done. He was going to bring him back to life. He is asleep, but I now go to awaken him. This was the language now that would be used among Christians after Jesus was raised from the dead and after he has ascended and he's gone to be with the Father. This was the language Christians use about death, that we have fallen asleep. You'll see that in the, in the New Testament. Because our world, because of what we saw Jesus do with death, changes how we see it. It's not the end. Death doesn't have power over Death doesn't have to threaten to take things we value from us. Death can't even take our own life because this life is temporary. The true life is eternal and it's coming. Jesus shows us he has power, authority over death. Death doesn't have authority over us if we're in Christ. I'm doing something. I'm going to show you my glory. And on the surface, it was one thing. It was to show them, I have authority over death, as we're going to see next week in the resurrection of Lazarus. They're going to show him undeniably, no one can breathe life into something that's dead except God himself. But there's more about this. No one can give us meaning in this life and transform suffering, transform the impact of evil, transform uncertainty in our lives, and can make these things that that are painful and wrong and problematic in this life, and can change them into redeemed things that are for our good. You see, when, when Jesus declares authority and shows his authority over death, 
And when he goes through death himself for you and I, as we celebrate with communion here, he shows us that I can change your circumstances and I can change you in your circumstances. The Apostle Paul encountered this in 2 Corinthians. He talks about addressing suffering among that church at that time. And he explains in verses 8 through 10, he himself was going through such suffering that he despaired even of life. To the point it was, it was that kind of suffering that you're like, I, 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 I just wanted to go away. I wanted to end and I want to escape. Where thoughts of ending your life come out because you just want the pain to go away. It was so bad. Paul couldn't see any way out of the suffering and the death that he was under. I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Have you felt the weight of that suffering in your world? Again, have you felt those words come? Where are you, God? What is going on? What are you doing? But this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. The God who raises the dead, the God who has power over death, changes how we see this life. Because ultimately, nothing can be taken from you. But when all the things are stripped away, the glory may not be the change in your circumstances. The glory may be to depend on on the God who raises the dead, to know the power of God in your life, to meet you in your pain, to comfort you, to cause you to rise up, to give you the resilience beyond this suffering that you cannot face yourself. You may experience the strength and power of God in you, not the change of your circumstances around you and see his glory. Jesus, as John noted, he loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Jesus loves you. For God so loved the world, that means everybody in you. His delay is because he may be working to show you something that you would never see if he didn't. He's good.
Nothing can take your life from you outside of his will. And there's ultimately nothing in this life that he can take, that, that Satan or this evils in this world can take from you. Jesus has guaranteed everything for you. Death is not the end. It is just the beginning. Death has no hold over you. But Jesus can if he's your Lord and Savior. He will meet you, the God. The God who raises the dead. Will you open your heart to receive him? As we have communion today, we're going to celebrate it in a, in a different way. You can see it's up front here. This is going to allow you to come and receive communion on your own as you're led. I encourage you to take some time to reflect. Now, if you notice, I, I didn't hit up on the last verse there in John. In the last verse, in verse 16, one of the disciples named Thomas makes some an incredibly bold statement. Let us go to Jerusalem, to the kill box, to the lion's den. Let's go that we may die with him. This, this kind of courageous statement, let's go. I'm ready to end my life for Jesus. Thomas does not have a clue what he's getting into. But he says something that's so profound about us followers. Jesus said, if you're going to come and follow me, take up your cross and deny yourself. You're going to follow me. When we come to the communion table, we celebrate Jesus' death for us, his blood shed to forgive us from the sin, his body broken, taking our penalty in our place. We celebrate Jesus' death for us. But there's more here. Jesus didn't just die for us, he tells us we are to die with him. So as you come to the table to celebrate Jesus died to overcome death, the power of death has, has no, no bearing on you and I anymore if we trust Jesus. But if we are to receive that, we've got to die with him. Jesus, let me die to myself with you. At taking up our cross is, is, Lord, Jesus, be my Lord. Lead me. Lead me. I can't see what you're doing, but Jesus, I trust you. I'm going to die to myself. I'm not going to trust my senses. I'm not going to trust myself. I trust you. I die to me. So as we come and we receive, thank you, Jesus, for paying my penalty, for saving me, for overcoming death for me. I receive that, Jesus. Let yourself respond at the same time. Jesus, help me die with you. The worship team is going to come on forward here. And they're going to be playing. And again, this is an opportunity for you to take communion as you are ready. There's no pressure, no time. I'm going to go ahead and pray here.
Holy Spirit. As we've seen in your word, Jesus, as we've seen your interaction with Lazarus, Lord, it was out of love that you delayed in order to display your glory. Lord, I pray whether that, that glory is a change in our world and our circumstances or, Lord, that glory is a change in us where we experience your power and your strength in us. Jesus, we want to die to ourselves. Lord Jesus, like Thomas, let us go with you that we may die so that we see your glory, Jesus. So that we see you, that we depend on you, not on ourselves. Not on our strength, not on our control, not on things going our way, not on us getting what we want, but Lord Jesus, on us having you. No, more importantly, Jesus, on you having us. We come to your table to receive your body and your shed blood for us, symbolically. Lord, we receive Lord, a work that we couldn't do, we receive and we thank you for overcoming death for us. Change us, Jesus.